What's the Explorer's Grand Slam? So the Explorer's Grand Slam. Sounds like includes- a, I'm sorry, that sounds like a Denny's breakfast. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Well, welcome back to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Um, Full disclosure, I'm recording this in the morning, and Andrew Hughes and I are sitting here having coffee while we talk. And so whenever you're listening to this, you know, drink coffee because that's what you should be doing. Andrew, first off, thanks for for making this happen. You've been uh, great at communication. And I'm going to kind of just give a super, super high level uh, what I know about you. And then I'm going to ask you to fill in the blanks. You climb a lot of mountains. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, 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 I do. Um, uh, but I, I didn't start, I mean, uh, until my, my mid thirties, I grew up in the Northwest, kind of in a right. small pulse though, for those who are from the Northwest, uh, yeah. a little Norwegian town. Um, we grew up in a, kind of in a farm over there on, in Big Valley, which sounds very idyllic, uh, um, <laughs> ran a bed and breakfast, uh, for basically my entire childhood. So, oh, okay. um, my, my initial kind of, kind of exposure with the nature was literally running up behind in the hills with the black bears and kind of like making forts in the old logging kind of cabins that kind of become dilapidated, um, in that area and heading over and doing camps over the Olympic peninsula. But, uh, I think for anyone who's a Northwesterner, you kind of, always have Rainier in your eyes and your heart. It just sits on the horizon um, and, and kind of part of the, the Northwestern identity a little bit, like whether you climb it or not, it's just, it's just there. So right. um, for me, that the, eventually I kind of in my early thirties, I just had this calling to, to go climb it. Um, and no one else in my life seemed to have that same calling. So I just ended up finding a, 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 a great guiding group. And we're very blessed in the Northwest um to have a lot of incredible uh operators um who do uh amazing climbs both domestically and internationally and so with alpine ascents and um love the process fell in love with climbing the mountains as much as looking to them on the horizon and uh, set off a huge journey over the last several years um that's taken me to all seven continents um climbed everywhere from antarctica to papua new guinea to, to everest um and it, it's something that is forever changed my life and, and changed the way I view the outdoors and nature. And, um, I'm doing all I can to not go back to a standard nine and five and find a way to continue to, to keep at least one foot, um, on the mountain and one foot kind of in the advocacy for advocacy for the outdoors itself. So we've had other uh, mountain climbing guests on the show before. And I, my idea of a climbing a mountain is the incline from my mailbox to my house. I, I mean, I am, I, you know, I'm not, no, not, not yeah, for me, I, but to be, to be fair, that, that, that can be a mountain in itself. I mean, like, I don't know, snow a few weeks ago, I could barely walk to my car outside. So, well, yeah, <laughs> we, we got at our, at our place, we got over three feet in less than a day, which I've never wow. lived anywhere in my life with this much snow on the ground. I see it in the mountains, but not, not, in, yeah. not in my driveway. But the point though, is that I'm, I'm picking up this kind of thread between you and past guests, which is, it's almost seems like, and I, in the, in the word I'm going to use is in a negative word. And I don't mean it to be negative, but it's almost like it's, mm. a, it becomes an addiction. Like 
you you're compelled to keep climbing. And um, one of our guests had hit, you know, has told me he's summited Rainier, I think 13 times. Don't quote me on that if I'm wrong, but it's more than a dozen and, and less than a hundred. Okay. That's a lot of times you're, yeah. you went and you wait till your thirties and you go, you go climb Rainier and now you've traveled the globe. That's commitment. Yeah. That's yeah, a com- I mean, you don't just go do that. You don't like, Hey, let's yeah, go to Everest I, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I agree. I, I think, I think we, we all get different callings in life sometimes. And, um, I, I always say like, I started, when I started climbing, it was very adversarial. Uh, it was like me versus nature, me versus okay. the mountain. Um, and I think a lot of people come in there because it's about like, trying to conquer something because maybe you've lost control about something else in your life. And so you're trying to take control over nature. And I learned very early on uh, the humility of great heights (laughs) and the importance (laughs) that the the mother nature and uh, the mountain is the one who dictates and decides um, whether you reach its summits or not. And so there was this, um, growing up, I think, as I climbed up mountains that changed it from this adversarial relationship to almost a communion and a connection. And so the way I kind of think about it when I talk about climbing for me is that if, if you are somebody of, of faith um, or religion, you, mm-hmm. you go back um, to church maybe on a weekly basis to hear the sermon. And, if, um, and that's something I feel at the outdoors is as well is that you you go back because you want to be rounded and grounded in kind of that communion um with i think a special place and then we were very lucky that for all of us it's simply outside our door usually um because it doesn't have to be big mountains to be in the outdoors or natural spaces and then forever itself it's kind of uh i always use it as a pilgrimage um i think other people really put it like sometimes you get the bad rap it's used as like a a cocktail mountain where people want to like basically like conquer it and then go back and like go to a cocktail party and talk about it. Um, for me, it was a very personal and kind of spiritual thing to do because it's Nepal itself is a beautiful and spiritual place and climbing, um, climbing it is a huge privilege um, and an opportunity to, I think, pay homage to the history of climbing and also to a very special mountain. I mean, it's, if you're if you're Muslim, you go to Mecca. If you're Catholic, you go to um, to the Vatican. Um, mm-hmm. Everest may not be the most technical, and it always kind of gets um, debated as to like like K2 is the mountaineer's mountain, but it's still the highest mountain on earth. And to go there and and pay pay homage to it was like a calling that I had to do at some point in my life. So mm-hmm. or twice in my thing, so the first time didn't work out so well. So, um, but yeah, so I, for for me, it's it is it's, it's it is an uh, it is an addiction, but I think it's more of an addiction of um, um, kind of having this like really personal relationship and community mm-hmm. and family that's been built from being out there um, and wanting to kind of maintain and foster that and help other people find ways to also have that experience. So, I love hearing that. That's you know, I mean, first off, you just said something. Once again, you know, I know. I grew up in the, in the shadow of Rainier, I grew up in the Puyallup, Tacoma, Puyallup area. So, I mean, Rainier yeah. was at my, my back door Beautiful and area. I took it, I yeah. took it for granted. 
you know, because it was, yeah. it was there a lot. I mean, not every day because mm-hmm. there's clouds, but you know, it was, Rainier was always there. And Everest has always been, well, you know, it's to the layman, at least to me, you know, it's the, the tallest mountain. So of course you're successful if you climb, if you summit Everest, man. Mm-hmm. but I've read recently, you know, in the general news that, you know, that there's like a line of people going up Everest. It's almost like it's a traffic jam. There's so many people um, going on that mountain at this time. Is that, did you experience that kind of sort of? Yeah, I, I think like the, it's a really complicated mountain, right? So like that, and, and I think it's complicated in the way that um, the the media doesn't necessarily always, like this year there wasn't a ton of coverage on Everest because there wasn't, a lot of carnage and there wasn't a lot of death like i was on the mountain in 2019 when nims uh took that photo on the summit uh with, with the lines going along the, the summit ridge and uh you had one of the highest death tolls on that and it was it, it, it was it was a lot of chaos but what's what's focused on oftentimes is not the mountain itself and the route and the conditions but the people on the mountain um, okay. and i i think it at times, and I think NIMS came out later on and, and talked about this, is that with climate change itself, um, you see the impact that's happening when it comes to what was once a really wide summit window. So usually on Everest, you would have, starting in early May, the ropes would be able to be set to the summit by the incredible Sherpa and High Altitude Mountaineers um, from Nepal that, that do that. Um, it's rotated between different teams who kind of like put forth like their best to go do that. And, and then you'd have like two to three weeks where you'd have several windows um, of multiple days for people to kind of like scatter themselves and coordinate. And what's happened, especially in the last two years with climate change, is you have these um, smaller and smaller weather windows where um, in 2019, you legitimately had a, maybe one and a half, maybe two days available. And so you still have the same amount of people on the mountain. And now you're trying to, everyone is basically kind of gets bottlenecked up into a specific place on the mountain waiting for that moment. And so it creates these kind of traffic jams, but it's really only on the upper part of the mountain. Um, okay. And it's really only during the summit push. The rest of the time on the mountain, people are kind of doing their own rotations and training and, and it's not there. But, and it's almost the nature of the mountain itself. There is really only one route once you kind of leave camp two up the Lhotse face through camp three, up to camp four, camp four to the summit. That's, it's kind of like a, it's like driving on an old country road on a mountain where there's only one, one lane, you know, there's, you got to kind of slow down and find ways for people to pull off, to get around you. And that's kind of like how Everest is, is on that last day, everyone is uh, trying to get up there and everyone's helping each other out usually as best as possible. It's just mm-hmm. kind of, it's the nature of it for me. I didn't mind it. We, this year we definitely still had maybe a couple hundred people on our summit push, but you're also moving at such a slow pace. You're not running up there that for me going slow and having people in front of me or behind me didn't matter when everyone was moving at the same pace. There, there's one crux kind of where the Hillary stuff used to be. But besides that, um, you kind of like, I took it as an advantage of like taking a few steps and then looking around at the most beautiful place that you're ever going to see at that altitude. And so I, I think, there is definitely an issue with people who are there for the wrong reasons and who have not put in the years of time of preparing and are just kind of paying to be pulled up the mountain. And you see that 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you see a lot of people get that summit fever and, and push and create dangers for themselves and the people that are supporting them and around them. But um, I, I think the the weather and the climate change is, is the bigger issue because um, the lines are a product of that because it's changing the weather windows. And so you're getting people to have less days to climb. Like this year, there was, I think, two to three days where there should have been, have been like seven to 10. And so even our, I mean, we have the summit with our, with our small team of like seven to 10 people for half an hour by ourselves. So like, it wasn't like a huge crowd up on the summit and we left mm-hmm. only because we wanted to get down safely. But I do think like the, the greater conversation is how do we ensure that the people are properly trained to go up the mountain to not create risk for themselves and for the, the Sherpa and Nepalese that are helping them climb. And how do we also deal with climate change issues that are changing the entire face of the mountain, the glacier, um, and creating these weather windows that are uh, really making it more and more prohibitive and lowering the rates of success every year? Sorry for the long answer, but that was, no, it's kind of it's no. a very like co- complex issue, and a lot of people kind of um, kind of see what the media gives them because it and it gets like that late May you get that like news article that comes out kind of every year um, yeah. about and they're they're hoping for that um and if it doesn't happen you never hear really about everest which is i think it's like known as good news sometimes so being a complete layman here you've just said a couple of things in this in your answer that you know spark a response for me and that is i i had no idea that the window was so small yeah. I, I had no clue i i just think i assumed there's snow on the mountain people are climbing it just yeah. naively, I think, I mean, I, I might sound like a complete idiot saying that, but that's no, kind no, of no. where I thought. And so when you tell me that be, this year there might have been a, let's say, a two-day window last last yeah. year, you know, that's mind-boggling to me that there's two days. Yeah. I mean, like it, we had we had two cyclones hit the mountain as we were pushing up from Camp 2, and some of the hardest days that have been on the mountain Um and we had teams that were extremely qualified, but they arrived at camp four 24 hours after we did. And we were fortunate enough to hit that window for like, there was an 18 hour window maybe before the storm came back in again mm-hmm. and get to the summit. And they sat at camp four for two days, which is the max you can because you've, you've cashed so much oxygen up there and your body's deteriorating at such a rate that after two days, you either are up or you're off. Um, and so there's a lot of people that were like, it's just about kind of like, it's really about timing and trying to have like a team and be ready to be at the right place at the right time. Um, and this year it was just, it just, there was one other, I think, uh, team that came up really at the end of the season, um, and just basically snuck in, um, for like, like they're the only team on the mountain at the end, but they're really late. Um, but the rest of. The rest of the teams try to hit around the, the 20th, 22nd, 23rd this year. Um, and the 23rd was the only day you could summit. Um, and there were some really early on, but it just, it takes so long for the weather conditions and everything to properly get set for the rope teams to kind of set the ropes so we can have fixed lines and protection. Otherwise, there would be a ton more, I think, death and um, injury on the mountain if it wasn't for the incredible work that kind of the those uh, Sherpa and Nepalese are doing up high on the mountain saying the ropes um, because you do see people coming off the ones I'm talking about that probably have not trained that are really just kind of there probably for for the glory aspect of it and mm-hmm. they come they they run the wheels off to the summit and when they're coming down 
there you can just see kind of the, the danger that would be there if they weren't clipped in so yeah it's, it's kind of a it's getting fewer and fewer when it comes to days of the mountains it's still doable but you just spend so much time acclimating that by the time you actually are ready for the summit it's usually early to, to mid-may so mm -hmm. well let's contrast that with rainier in what's rainier's season uh i mean rainier you feasibly can climb year-round it's just winter climbs of any mountain are substantially more dangerous mm -hmm. um i mean people have done winter ascents of rainier it's just it's it takes a different breed that okay. wants to do that and, and somebody who uh really um has a really strong skill set you can get a lot of danger really quickly um in yep. winter climbing um but i think like you start getting to the spring and to probably mid to late summer before it really um, kind of starts opening up where you can mm -hmm. climb Rainier. The, pro the problem is, again, I mean, Rainier is uh, a hometown um, symbol of climate change as well. And I think anybody that looks to it can see how much more, like um, how, how much the snow and ice has melted off the glaciers um, over the years. And you can see more, it looks more brown during the summer times from the horizon. And, and when you get up there, you're also seeing the fact that it is just, it's cracking open a lot, uh, a lot more. Um, the, the standard routes don't stay open as long as they used to. So you're now using alternative routes to get up there, which creates more technicality. It's definitely still climbable, um, but it just increases the, the risk and changes kind of the season dynamics. Well, I noticed this year, just, just observing the, the mountain, it looks different. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. from, you know, from the, when I was over in Tacoma, or I see it kind of in the Yakima area. It looked, it's like, wow, there's no snow up there. It was visibly, yeah, wow, this looks different. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I climbed it. I didn't climb it at this. I just uh, did a little journey up there um, for a project just to mirror. But even then, like going up and just kind of looking at it kind of closer up. And it definitely is every year, I feel, especially as we get warmer and warmer summers up here. Um, mm -hmm. and less rainfall, you're, you're seeing kind of the, the glaciers disappear on the mountain itself. And, um, that just creates all kinds of other issues that kind of ripple. I'm on your website. I'm going to ask you to explain something because there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to, I, I need, I need to update it as well. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> so on, on the so to -do list. I'm, I'm going to read your headline and, and yeah. the headline says fastest known times in first. So that's what we're talking yeah. about. Some that you've, you've completed the seven summits, which are listed as the highest mountains on each continent. Yeah. Okay. First off, I kind of chuckle cause I don't really think of Australia as having mountains. So uh, yeah, there, there's <laughs> two there. Uh, so the, the original list uh, by Bath um, included Kosciuszko in Australia, uh -huh. which legitimately uh, there's a chairlift up to it. And then you basically walk on a paved path over thing. We, we, we did. Okay. We did it without the chairlift one morning as well. Yeah, it, it's actually, I mean, it's a beautiful, it's kind of a beautiful trekking down kind of the Threadbow area. Like that park is gorgeous and like these beautiful like uh, trails that go kind of off along these ridgelines down in Australia. But uh, Messner came a, a little bit after Bass and created a, a secondary list, and which is generally held as the more true. Um, and all my, I have a bunch of family in Australia and they're probably going to get emails from them or <laughs> if I ever told them this, but like the the more held to be true seventh summit is actually um uh, Carson's pyramid or Punkakshaya which is in Indonesia which is 
about 17, I think it's 16, 17,000 feet. And it's hmm. the most technical of it. It's basically rock climbing. You have like these like, uh, like rope traverses at 16,000 feet over huge gaps. And it's up in the jungle of uh, Indonesia. Um, like, so that's actually the, the, the more true seventh summit. Some people will just claim the Australian one because they don't want to go do the more technical one, but I did both. <laughs> just okay. Make sure. Yeah. So yeah. what are the, what are the seven summits? Uh, so for, for Australia, Oceania, depending upon whose list you're going, uh, okay. Kosciuszko in Australia, um, or, uh, Karsten's pyramid in Indonesia, uh, are the debated ones. Um, okay. then you have Denali, um, uh, up or formerly as McKinley in uh, Alaska for the North America, uh, Aconcagua down in South America, looking in Argentina and the Andes. How tall uh, is that? Um, what, approximately what's that? <clears throat> That's over 22,000 feet. Um, it's the highest mountain in the world outside the Himalayas. Um, wow. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty big. It's usually used as a mountain that most operators um, will recommend and want their climbers to do before going to, say, do Everest. And so if you're, like, you're just like want to climb Everest, it's like one of those prerequisites they want you to do because it's, a very, it's not a very technical mountain, but the altitude itself is a technicality. Mm -hmm. So they want you to climb that mountain to see how your body, you're not using O's. So you, just to see how your body reacts and to train your body, how to like, take care of yourself at altitude um, over like a two and a half to three week, usually expedition, depending upon what weather conditions are. But um, it's beautiful. And then afterwards you're in uh, Mendoza where there's great Malbecs to drink wine. So, I mean, not, not a bad place to go for <laughs> not a, a bad place to, to recover yeah. from. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All, all yeah. right. Um, and so, uh, and then, uh, kind of popping over to uh, Africa, you have Kilimanjaro, um, which a lot of people also use as kind of their entryway to like bigger mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also stunning. And then, um, heading up to Europe, you have, uh, Elbrus, which is in Russia, but, um, is about 18,000 feet. Uh, okay. so, so the highest volcano there. Um, some, some people, if you you move over, to like we'll consider like Mont Blanc because it's the highest mountain in Western Europe. I climb that as well, but uh, I thought that was a pen company. Yeah, it is. It's a great pen company as well. Um, Sorry, but yeah, but uh, so but Elbrus is it, Elbrus is also not extreme. I mean, any mountain can be hard on any given day, but like it, you can actually like it's a fairly doable mountain. I think for a lot of people um, as a good kind of training point um, as well. Okay. Uh, and then uh, you move down to Antarctica, pop all the way back down. You have Mount uh, Vincent or Vincent Mastiff, which is uh, just in the central kind of um, kind of uh, kind of continental ice uh, mountain range. I can't remember the range right now, um, but that's not too tall. But that mountain, and because it's Antarctica, is can be extremely demanding and challenging. Uh, it's, it's the coldest place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> For a long okay. period of time, and then of course Everest um, okay. wraps you up for Asia. And then there's the six vol the volcanic summits, which are the highest on each continent. So yeah. you've named a couple of those, and we'll just I'm going to skip over that because you you just named some monster climbs. Yeah. But what I don't know is what's the Explorer's Grand Slam. So Explorer's Grand Slam that sounds like a, I'm sorry that sounds like a Denny's breakfast. I'm sorry. Yeah, just, and, and it's I remember. Bad. <laughs> Two eggs, bacon, and, and sausage <laughs> sounds great. Sausage Sorry, biscuit. warned you that I'd be no, irreverent. Okay. No, uh, it's my childhood right there. They're in midsole. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so the Four's Grand Slam is a, a further kind of evolution of the Seven Summit. Um, okay. 
the first to ever do it was Hillary, though he did it by flying to the North Pole. So he's kind of uh, has a little asterisk by his name, but he did some at Everest uh, first. So I guess he can kind of hang okay. his hat. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, so what essentially includes is the seven summits that we just kind of mentioned, and then also reaching both the South Pole and the North Pole, um, generally by your own means. Uh, okay. there, there's like, um, there's a small differentiation. So there's about 20 people who have ever done like full traverses, which, um, I have not done. So those people have kind of done, um, like Antarctica and North pole traverses fully across from the outer shelf, um, say from Hercules inlet or from some other um, aspect that it's, um, basically agreed upon that is on the outer side. And then they traverse to the poles. Um, okay there's about 20 people that have ever done that. Um, and then there's people like myself who are striving to do the last degree, which is kind of like a, an abridged version and for the Arctic, maybe now the only version you can do unless you want to kayak um, in the next couple of years or take a boat part of it because it's melting out so, so much, but uh, just trying to reach both the North and South poles as well. Um, okay. And so that's what we were talking about before we hit record is that you're going to the North pole then this spring. Yeah, yeah, okay. and um, fly out March 28th to try this expedition. It's been canceled the last three years, so that's kind okay. of indicative of how, how hard just logistically is to make it happen. So, one of the things that you said before we hit record that was, you know, interesting to me was you were talking about tracking people on their GPSs, and and you, so this last 16 miles that you referenced, uh, mm-hmm. this which 16 miles doesn't sound. Um, you know, oh, it's 16 miles. Okay, it can be done. But we're doing it on ice. And not only that, you were saying that when people are sleeping, the ice keeps shifting so that they could be gaining or losing or going off, off, you know, going to the east when they need to be going to the west. Yeah. But you mentioned you're sleeping. You want to make sure you're trying to sleep on old ice versus new ice. Yeah. How does one tell the age of ice? <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's there's ways to kind of tell if you if you're looking at the floats because it's kind of like puzzle pieces in the in the Arctic. Um, generally, from from my knowledge, because I've never had to actually sleep on it yet, so I'm looking forward to like learning hands on a lot more. But my understanding is is it's essentially it's kind of um, you, you you don't want to be on the outer edges of these things. So the the older ice is what is essentially the core. And then okay. these cores are these big floats um, that are kind of connected, and you're staying away from the, the the areas that are forming just based upon seasonal or um, more of sense as, as the day. I mean, it's 24-hour daylight, but the outer edges are going to be much thinner, where those kind of breaking points have happened. So you're trying to find large chunks of these floats, large puzzle pieces, and then in the middle of that's where you want to set up camp. Um, okay. Cause we're not, we're not, we're not drilling in and it's not kind of like on say like Denali where we're, we're kind of wanding out to make sure that we're not camping over crevasses or something like that to like set our camp perimeters. Um, we can't do that with the ice, can't drill in to see how deep it is. And so it's kind of more reading the environment around you and then mm-hmm. determining kind of a, a safe zone in which to kind of set up camp and keep yourself. So in the middle of the night, uh, it doesn't split open underneath you and you get a, a cold shower that you'll never forget so yeah come back from so come back from yeah okay i first off you you have far more 
you're far more brave and courageous than I'll ever be. Even if I was in shape, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do any of this. I, yeah, as far as I'd be terrified to do it. It's not that I don't want to. I'd be too yeah. scared. I, could, I wouldn't get out of my fear. But that's something that you, you also kind of reference on your site is self-mastery, shall I say, of your, of your mental state. You know, I'm, I'm, t- I'm basically it, it, admitting to having a weak mental constitution for, for anyone that's listening uh, to this show. And you've got a headline saying, you know, doing away with self doubt and, and things like that. How, how have you managed that? How have you, how have you, I mean, it, yeah, I think, I think you I, must I think be scared. You must be scared. Yeah, uh, I, don't I think good. Yeah, I, okay. I think like the I think people to say they have no fear. I'm afraid of, to be honest. Um, <laughs> okay, like, I, I, I would never want to climb with somebody that had no fear because I feel a lack of fear is also kind of a lack of respect. Um, okay, and, and I think it's it's about like redefining your relationship with fear and discomfort. And for me, it's it's almost like a form of meditation going out there. You're 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 daily kind of meditating and working through it. For those who like practice yoga or doing like that, you know, your daily practice. So, mm-hmm. no matter whether we're on the mountain or whether we're in life and like applying for a new job or applying ourselves or starting a new company or asking that person out that we have feelings for, like those are all kind of daily meditations on how we deal with fear, discomfort, like self doubt. Um, it's not to say we're getting rid of those things. It's saying like, what we're we going to do with them when we face them today and what is our relationship going to be with them? Um, and so for me, they're, especially in the world we live in today, where a lot of, we're always trying to find way to make things easier, make things more comfortable. Um, whether it's kind of, there's a lot of disconnect that comes with that as well um, from mm-hmm. the world around us. And so I find when you kind of go to the mountain, sometimes you, you're, face-to-face with discomfort in a lot of ways that we don't have to face in our daily lives. And also you're also faced or given the opportunity to have incredible connection, both with yourself, with the people you're with, because you're not tethered to all the things that are pulling you in different directions on every any given day. Um, and I think that's a, a powerful gift to give yourself. And it also um, kind of like, uh, like trench warfare back in the day, like when you go to the outdoors, you're, you're trying to gain a little bit of ground into the person that you maybe want to be and like how you want to live your life. And then you come back to reality and in the real world that has all the other things. And you're just trying to keep a little bit of that ground that you fought for. You're going to give it up a lot, some of it, but you're just trying to always inch forward to kind of become more and more closer to like that, that place that is home for you and where you're happy um, or most happy. Sorry. I have, uh, I have lots of, see, the, I'm sorry, the trench warfare thing just got me like, whoa. Um, yeah. Th- I think that's the first time someone's mentioned trench warfare on the show. Yeah. That's the, I, yeah there's a force you can put I'm, that I'm on gonna, your website. I'm going to keep pulling, pulling for different things. I'm speaking a lot of, on the that's mountain, awesome. there's, no, there's nothing to pull from. So you start pulling from every metaphor you can ever possibly think of to kind of try to describe what it is to be out there. So this is a question. I mean, this is going to sound it's kind of referencing on something you just, it, it, what you just said kind of triggered the question. And I understand that the, what I'm about to ask you is going to sound like, you know, every lazy person's question. But when you're, when you're on the summit of insert name of mountain here and you're 
probably taking some photo documentation of yourself that you're, you're on the summit of Kilimanjaro, right? Mm -hmm. Are you whipping out your iPhone and do you have service? Uh, (laughs) iPhone? Yes. Generally because it's your phone, basically whether you're doing Android or iPhones or whatever, those, those are (laughs) your, your one piece of technology that generally you're carrying up there. You have a backup cam, but no service ever like even up there i mean like it's, I'm, it's, gl- I'm glad uh, to hear that actually because yeah that, that's there's places the in the world that should not have connectivity yeah exactly and and uh when i started climbing because there was satellite options like you can carry like an in-reach um from garmin stuff like that you could text them back and you can bring sat phones when i when i started off uh it was very much again i think selfishly wanted to be completely disconnected and i was mm-hmm. going through a lot and i just I, I wanted that severing that cleavage between me and all connection back home mm-hmm. what i realized that was also very um unthoughtful to the feelings of family and friends back home who also love you and are concerned for you and you are in a dangerous place and so i've i found this kind of spot in between where i'll bring um bring some kind of satellite communication devices so I can communicate at home. And especially um, I have a loving fiance who has gone through a lot of mountains and a lot of ups and downs in, in climbing and in dangerous situations. And I think, well, you know, part of your, your love for the mountains also has to be a loving respect for the people in your life and to like sure. give them lifelines at home. But it is nice as well that like you're not getting emails throughout the day. You're not getting text messages blowing up those group chats aren't hitting you. So, um, and it's nice to kind of just have that moment of kind of like you you have your phone, but all you're doing is reading on it or listening to music or thinking. Um, so it's really lovely, but they are actually, it's great because, because, uh, batteries are getting better and, um, cameras are getting better on most phones. Most of my stuff I take is because is on my iPhone when I'm on the mountain, Mm -hmm. just because the the best camera you can have is the one you're actually going to use. And, and ounces become pounds the higher you climb and so like uh if, if you can make it work with smaller and um it's definitely not gonna you're not gonna be able to blow it up to a jimmy chin like kind of uh poster but um but you can definitely still like make beautiful things to kind of like share your journey with friends and family back home um right with kind of a smaller devices it, it, that's just the way my brain works you're, you're telling me about this meditative component to it and i'm like well, does your phone work on the top? I mean, yeah, I, I, I know logically the answer better be no. I mean, people honestly, ask, yeah, people, when I, when I post things uh, and share kind of stories on social media, they're like, how does he have like service? And I mean, I, I was, I, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah. But I, I, I understand it because in a way it's something that connects, right? So like you, you, you see the use of a phone or something like that on the mountain and it's like, we're always looking for ways to kind of understand the situation. And so, um, like how we go to the bathroom, like, what do we do with those things? Like, like what, like what kind of technology, like how to use your phone, all those things like are kind of ways that kind of bring environments and locations that maybe are unknown into a known. And I think that's Mm -hmm. helpful because, and and I love that because it just creates an opportunity to start talking about all the other aspects of it as well. So. Right. You mentioned your fiance. Yeah. Did I, I think so the the story of how we've heard about you is that my my daughter Mackenzie I think stumbled across you on social media. So she, you know, cuz she's she's 
our social media. We call her our social media maven. Yeah. And yeah. so she's, she's out there doing a lot of, you know, like, Oh, this, this, this individual look, Oh, this is a cool story. Let's talk about that. You, Scott, you talked to them and all that. And very helpful. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to say that there's a story there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> she, so, uh, Lauren has been an exceptional partner and I don't think I could have climbed, uh, especially the way I've climbed the last few years without her. I think she's made me a better climber because of her being in my life. Um, okay. Uh, there's just the, you kind of like, um, you change kind of your risk and you become more, I think, thoughtful about the way that you approach mountains when you have someone or something you want to come home to. Um, and I, I, I don't think I would have been able to kind of being as inspired, but also make the right calls at the right time um, okay. during the last few years where there was crossroads in that decision-making process without her in my life. And so uh, she went through a, a kind of near summit of Everest in 2019 um, where I got pneumonia on the way to the summit and, and called my own um, at kind of, I was at 20 camp two with like two days away from the summit basically. And, uh, just something didn't feel right. And I think the old me would have been like, I'm not going to tell anybody. Um, I was going to kind of put it down. And, and that's the year that um, everyone was dying on the summit because they couldn't get off. And it was just kind of just a horrific year with people people dying. And I, I feel like without her and, and without kind of that humility that I'd gained through other experiences, I, I might have pushed upwards um, and may not be here talking with you this morning because of that. So. Um, but I was also at peace with that, knowing that I was making the right call because I was going back to her and my family. And, uh, so, um, this year when I went back to Everest, uh, it felt only right that if I made the summit, um, I knew I wanted to propose to her. Um, and I, I wanted her to know that like her love was always going to be and her was always going to be higher than any summit peak. So, um, so yeah, so when I, I was fortunate enough to get to the summit um, and kind of get down on one knee and propose with a flag I carried up there uh, to her. Um, didn't tell her I was doing any of this. Uh, I just kind of brought the flag back down. People on the summit knew about it, but no one else did. And then we got back here to, to warmer weather um, and she was back here waiting for me. Took her out in Lake Washington on a beautiful summer day and gave her uh, the flag wrapped up in a photo of me holding the the, the summit flag on the summit of Everest um, and proposed to her at sea level. Um, and uh, yeah. So now, Very yeah, cool. Very yeah. Cool. So, I mean, I mean, it's just one of those things like you just, you just realize the mountains hold a lot of meaning, but um, we never really get to those places and those kind of dreams without the people in our lives helping us get there. So she, she is a climber as well, correct? No, she's not. No. She, she actually hates the cold. So um, yeah. <laughs> So, so, uh, yeah, she's very fortunate though. Cause I have so much puffy gear that she always has plenty to, to wrap up in, but, uh, she, I mean, she, she loves the outdoors and she loves like going out and hiking. And I mean, she's from gig Harbor, so she's a Northwesterner herself. Um, okay. But right. she, she's more, she, well, while I went to the mountains, she went to all our beautiful lakes and waterways and grew up water skiing and kind of more on the water. And I, uh, on the farm we didn't have we had a pond <laughs> and there's definitely 
there was not any, any skiing or, or there was things a, to be done yeah. on that. So, okay. uh, yeah, right. we, we, we go to different forms of water. She goes to the, the wet stuff. I go to the frozen stuff. Well, okay. So, so how did you guys meet? How did the two of you meet? Uh, classic blind date. A uh, couple of okay. uh, interested mothers who <laughs> knew kids were single uh, created this Yenta pipeline for us and uh, randomly um, just connected us uh, about well, 2018 uh, in December. So it was another okay. Christmas present for a blind date. And uh, sometimes the old, <laughs> sometimes the old ways work as good as ever. So, wow. Well, uh, that's awesome. That's a great, yeah. that's a great story, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was that's wonderful. great. So, um, yeah. And, just she's been in, in, I can a partner that I could dream of in this life. So excited for, for maybe less big climbs, but more expeditions in life together. So in different okay. ways. So what we've, you know, we've kind of violated the whole premise of my show, which is all about Washington state. Cause we really haven't, you know, we've, we've mentioned Paul's bow and gig Harbor and that's it. it yeah. It's okay. But what keeps you coming back to, the area. Why, the I mean, you've been traveling yeah. the world. Why do you keep coming? I'll say home, but why do you keep coming oh, back? Home. Uh, okay. I mean, I think if you look at the history of mountaineering, it is, and especially, well, mountaineering for the United States, it is deeply, deeply rooted in the Pacific Northwest um, okay. and Washington. I mean, the, the, the Whitakers and the Hornbonds of the world, uh, the, the Steve Swenson for like ice and rock and mixed climbing. I mean, these guys are, are legends um, and they're all locals. Um, and so you look at some of the top guiding companies in the world from Madison Mountaineering to Alpine and Ascent International, they're, they're local here as well. Um, and there's just an incredible community here. And I think like there is few places in the world um, that can come close to what the Northwest has to offer when it comes to a diverse um, outdoor experience, whether you like rock climbing or skiing or um, just kind of trekking and hiking, or you want to be out on the waterways or go out to the oceans and go surfing. There's just, um, it's a place that I think breeds many different paths and opportunities to connect with nature which I think is extremely special. Um, a, a lot of places and a lot of people that I've met come from unique places. I mean, I've found people from Chicago, they're not climbing mountains in Chicago. Like they have beautiful lakes, but, um, and, and that's one of the things And you have, like you have Colorado people like knocking out 14ers all the time and they have beautiful rivers as well, but we have the ocean and we have these waterways as well. And so, you start like kind of the, the more you see, the more you appreciate the, the unique spaces that we have here um, in Washington state. And I think it is something that like you talked about earlier, when you live so close to something, sometimes you forget how amazing it is. Um, and I'm no different about that. I mean, that's why tourists usually see more of a city than the person that lives in the city. But, <laughs> but I, I think the Northwest in particular is a, such a bountiful place when it comes to being active and being able to connect with um, the great outdoors. So I keep coming home because there's no place like home. So I'm going to tell you that your answer disappoints me. <laughs> I would have thought you would have said coffee. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, this is, this is like my third of these, I think this morning, <laughs> like my, my loving fiance knowing me and what I need in the morning has gotten me, 
uh, a larger <laughs> cup over the years. My cup continues to grow. It's going to be like an SNL skit eventually, where eventually it's going to be like a bucket <laughs> sitting in front of me, just sitting on, on interviews. But yeah, no, I, I just... mean, I, yeah. <laughs> Coffee is life. Coffee, great music scene, like all the things that, I mean, there's lots of stuff here that I love. So, well, okay. So you, let's let's we're gonna come back i've got a couple more outdoor questions but let's just because you said coffee and music let's let's just go there who where do you go for coffee what do you enjoy what's your coffee what's your go-to do you have one i mean i'm pretty basic i'm I'm a drip guy like i have caffeine in it i'm I'm pretty i'm pretty stoked on it um right i mean we there's so many great coffee shops like even around where i'm at like i mean lighthouse roasteries is just up the way from from my house here i'm in fremont right now we're, we're moving to montlake but i mean there's just there's fuel in montlake which we've already gone to like multiple times and like there's one in longford as well um mm-hmm. but there's just countless spots and i mean i'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not above like popping into starbucks as well on our dog walk i mean our, our little frenchie loves a puppuccino so yeah um, but yeah. yeah i mean like stoneway cafe is like in fremont for me is like a go-to and mm-hmm. a great meetup and good food um next door to that like the, the mirror building has a wonderful cafe with all their great like that i mean like i think we're there's such a bounty like if you go to any neighborhood <laughs> you could spend probably about I don't know, two to three weeks of mornings trying new spots for coffee. Um, and, and there's such heritage, like just the Northwest, like uh, we like came upon this great roastery from Portland, Proud Mary, which has like small batch stuff. I mean, like, I don't really. I've never like, heard of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't drink a lot, but like, when like, so like, but coffee is like my small batch and like kind of like all because again, in the mountains, coffee is one of those small pleasures that like, it's not great coffee, but like, like vias from Starbucks are literally gold. I've traded for food with those little packets up there on Denali. Like, so it's, it's the old barter system. Okay. So. so that now that you opens up a question. So, yeah, because like you, you said earlier that, you know, ounces become pounds as you gain an elevation yeah. and you're telling me that summiting Everest isn't just like, well, we're going to do it today and it's all day. And if I don't get my coffee today, well, Oh, so, so, Oh, big deal i'll be back tomorrow and go to starbucks yeah is it are you literally packing vias up there or yeah. what what do oh, you yeah. okay yeah 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 i mean so like there, there's really <laughs> there, it, there there's medical good reasons beyond simply the, the morning indulgence so the higher you go up on big mountain your body conversely tricks you into thinking that you need less water and less food it's it's essentially trying to con- like because you have to burn energy to use all those things so it's sending like like messages that it's trying to conserve your main core organs and and abilities and so you lose your appetite when you most need it because your body is like demanding more energy than ever at high altitude and you also need more water but you're drinking on the same bottle for three weeks straight and it's starting to taste funky and like you're like all the hydration things your taste buds change Mm -hmm. but coffee always tastes good for me and maybe it's not for everybody but like it is a great way of actually hydrating yourself because you can kind of like also cover up some of the the taste of the the ice you're melting that might not be that great. And caffeine okay. actually also helps with AMS. Um, and and a, no, it's not going to cure your altitude mountain sickness, but okay. it does help alleviate sometimes um, the headaches and other things that come from it um, because okay. it's a diuretic. So it's moving things through your body more. And it helps like you have to, keep that in mind like when it comes to hydration but it actually like 
the caffeine like kind of can help reduce headaches and stuff like that when you're on high altitude. So I view it as medicine. I'm carrying up medicine with me. So, so I would yeah. like, I would like have it strapped around my body. It would be like, I, my puffy jacket would be full of via packets and not yeah. insulation. I mean, which it's self care. Yeah. It's, it's super <laughs> important. I mean, like, and there's a bunch of great like companies too. I mean, like vias are wonderful. People have a, a wide variety of now of kind of like those coffee dehydrated packets. And it, I, I always say that like, Self-care isn't just about how you take care of your body. It's also how you take care of your mind um, and, mm-hmm. and your kind of emotions. Um, and the mountain is no different when it comes to that. Like you climb mountains more with your mind. So a small comfort and a small thing that makes you happy, like a, like a hot cup of coffee in the morning or in the afternoon or basically just sitting in your tent waiting for that weather window mm-hmm. is a way to kind of soothe the soul a little bit and then find some serenity amidst the storms. So you okay. just kind of, yeah. All right. feel the, uh, a little bit yeah well that's that's awesome so the yeah. other thing you mentioned was you know our local music yeah what what do you listen to i mean what's your it, what's your genre of choice i i i think we're really again fortunate here like for me like i grew up with nirvana and pearl jam and like allison chains and like a lot grunge scene like i was um over on the farm, which kind of didn't reconcile really that well, but it, it kind of, it was, it was, um, my parents didn't understand it, but it didn't matter, but, uh, like, no, no parents uh, understand their kids' music. I don't understand my kids' music. Yeah. Neither do I, to be honest, I don't have kids yet. And I already know I'm lost going forward. Yeah, I um, know, yeah. But for me, like, I, like, I mean, I love, uh, I love a wide range of stuff. Um, number, we have so many great music venues, like Lauren and my first date on our first blind date, I took her to a country concert at the tractor in Ballard. Um, I love like, the lo- tractor. Lo- yeah. The tractor is amazing. I love, and, 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 I love the tractor. Yeah. And so like, for me, like, like places like that, like you got the sunset tavern just up the way that I've seen incredible, like, like bands of all like varieties, like people don't even know there's a venue back there, but it's amazing. And then mm-hmm. you kind of got like bigger ones, like from the crocodile who just redid everything to like Showbox. Um, um, paramount but i generally i like seeing the smaller venues i like seeing our pneumos like i like seeing them on the way up or the way down <laughs> like mm-hmm, that's my favorite mm-hmm. time to see artists um uh where it's still like really personal and connected and so but i, I mean i grew up like i think my first cds were like garth brooks then like uh mc hammer and then uh nirvana i think were like my first like three cds ever bought from like probably barnes and noble in, in silverdale or something like that when i couldn't have enough money but I, I, All right, I, so I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you and tell you. Okay, yeah. so I'm older than you, obviously. Yeah. Right? If you look at the two of us, you're like, okay, yeah, Scott. So I bought my first CD player in early '80s, like yeah. when they first came out, right? Like yeah, when it was it, new tech. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. well, no, I this was like a rack stereo. System. Oh, the big was, one. There, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this too. was like yeah, yeah. home office. So yeah, my yeah. first three CDs that I bought was uh, Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon." Yeah, that on vinyl. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Donald Fagan's The Nightfly. Okay. And which and then Princess Purple Rain. Oh, that's also classic. Yep. Fantastic. But those yeah. were the three those were my first you're like, you know, like it's always funny when you remember like, oh yeah, when I yeah. bought my first uh, you know. Yeah. So not, yeah, my musical taste has definitely I think evolved a little bit. But <laughs> oh, I mean yeah, Nirvana and Garth Brooks for me remain good. I, I still have a country heart, but like I mean I love a wide range of stuff like i mean case w has like in 107.7 like the end are, are wonderful like 89.5 like it's always been great for like kind of, kind of i think it's coming out of roosevelt or i don't know what school strength but like 
Yeah, but that that station has been around for decades, and it was mm-hmm. like my first exposure to house and electric and stuff like that, which is good when you need to do long training sessions. And then, um, and then of course, like KSP, like ninety point three is just just a gift to the Northwest. Like the the, the right. variety of music, like everything from like reggae to new artists to just and everything in between is just it's amazing. Um, so I think we're just really fortunate to have so many great radio stations here that give so much exposure and platforms for people. And I've had friends from my hometown, like, you know, end up going to the music industry and, and like, I've watched them play at the tractor now or like at different venues. And it's just, it's special to see kind of a, I think a community in the Northwest that really supports um, Mm -hmm. kind of artists um, and gives them a lot of really beautiful, unique spaces to kind of like show their art. Give a shout out. Who was, who was your friend that played at the tractor? Oh, uh, yeah. So Megan Grandel, um, who, uh, uh, played there years ago. Uh, I think okay. she's still playing. I, I've kind of, COVID's kind of thrown off my, my of last course. two years of, uh, of right. artists and, uh, Lydia Ramsey as well. Um, I've seen her, seen her play there as well, both, um, from my hometown. So, uh, huh. yeah, but, uh, Megan's band is, I think, Lamolo. Um, so she's actually had stuff featured on, I think different TV shows, even that she's played at. Um, but yeah, it's just, they're, they're incredible. And it's just amazing to see people that you grew up with kind of realizing their own dreams. That's their own mountain right there. I mean, that's a mountain that I'll never, never climb either. Like my vocal cords have no business singing notes ever. I'm not allowed to sing in the shower. Yeah. yeah. I would love to, I mean, that's a good Yeah, I have no skills there either. Um, I probably, I probably could summit Rainier before I could carry a tune. I mean, that's probably, you know. Yeah. But circling back to the mountain component of it, when you're climbing, you need to, my, my interpretation is like, you would need to be in communication with your, with your team. Like you're, you're not just, you're not walking around with your your noise canceling headphones on and listening to music. Oh yeah. Yeah are you do you have playlists that you take with you when you're climbing and you know is there a soundtrack going on or yeah yeah um, you, you kind of uh you're definitely right i mean you're you're definitely not tuning out and putting headphones on there, there are places where you potentially can do that say the trek-ins or something like that um mm-hmm. but i'm usually always a one headphone in one headphone out even when that just because i think it's i don't want to completely disconnect from the place i'm at Sometimes I, I find sure. music to help me connect with places or creates just another way of creating a deeper connection with it. Like a, you might go home and that song, because you had one ear listening to the world around you and one listening to the song, it becomes part of this greater symphony of memory, um, which I really love because uh, those songs then become connected to the memory and I can like listen to them when I'm home. Um, and they remind me of the place and the moment um, that I was in. But yeah, for me, music is, so incredibly important um when it comes to finding peace and just like sitting mm-hmm. on the mountain and, and part of that process and um i'm generally not like rocking out on the mountain a ton um but like rock climbing is different like i mean like i, I don't climb do a ton of rock climbing but like kind of heading out kind of heading to the ski slope when i was younger as well like like listening to a bunch of like kind of like grunge and, and getting like really excited to go out there and just kind of be up in it. Um, right. Totally, right. totally different feel. Like, and I think that's the thing about the mountains itself is depending upon how you're engaging with them, whether you're trekking or hiking or doing other things, like 
that maybe changes the soundtrack by which you're going to pair with it. So, okay. Is there a mountain peak, uh, you know, that you haven't done that you want to? What's oh, on yeah. that? Is there? Is there? Okay, yeah. so is there a the bucket list? list? Yeah, yeah, wish I, list. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll just we won't tell Lauren that there is a long list, but there's a okay. A What's long, Lauren, Lauren? Stop listening. Lauren, yeah, we'll tell you yeah, when to start. Walk away. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's tons about. I mean, like, and I definitely eight thousand meter peaks are i think a, a much more challenging thing to do as you become more engaged in family life and, and wanting a family um sure. because you're gone for two months sometimes doing these things um and that's just a substantial amount of time it, life itself work starting businesses all has to kind of stop mm -hmm. in a lot of ways um so kind of the the transition has been like that i'm hoping maybe one day to, to do maybe a couple more eight thousand meter peaks down way down the road um mm -hmm. But Mount Kenya in um, in Africa is the second highest mountain, but it's it just looks incredible, um, and it's it's been calling to me. Ama de Blom in uh, in Nepal is a gorgeous six thousand meter peak that mm -hmm. it's just when you, it's like the first mountain you really see walking into the Himalayas that like makes you stop and be like, wow, like that is that is so beautiful um and it's like a few weeks like and also like, i think the transition is it's, it's more uh looking at like expeditions that are three weeks and less um mm -hmm. so uh there's a lot of mountains that kind of fit within that world like mount logan um up in canada which is the highest mountain in canada it's very similar to denali and something i would love to do at some point in time um and yeah, I mean, those, I, I like to go down and, and climb more in like New Zealand and other places. And I, I kind of view like as an opportunity, like find a country and go and climb mountains. It might not be technical, but just, I think it creates like a unique experience. I mean, even, even my bachelor party, I'm making the guys go down to Mexico and climb the eighth highest mountain in North America. So find a bachelor <laughs> party that they're used to, but um, yeah, that's okay. Wow. Yeah. All it's right. just outside Mexico city. Um, so I'm like giving them five months, but I feel like, yeah, it's it's the third highest <laughs> volcano, and I, it's a it's beautiful though, and and I, I think again, I, I think people people it's, it's something that appreciates over time when you invested that into kind of going and pushing yourself into it. So hopefully they appreciate the, the difference. So, all right, next question: You can only climb. You're guaranteed success, mm. and you can only climb one more mountain in your lifetime. This you got to pick one. And you're guaranteed success too. So you, yeah. you're gonna summit it. And I'm gonna survive off the summit too back home. Just making you, sure that it, it's a it's yes, it's the perfect cool. everything is wonderful. Uh and you and you can it could be it could yeah. be a repeat. You could say Rainier if you wanted. It there's yeah. no wrong answer here. I mean I I lean towards <laughs> I lean towards K two because it is something that scares me the most um okay. like and um because of the risk of of like of dying on that mountain um kind of like annapurna mm -hmm. but at the same time i, I also would want to say rainier um because it's where i really started and it would feel okay. appropriate to kind of go up there um one last time and kind of bring everything home again book in the career if you will yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay 
so I mean, with this, we could go on and on and on. There's so many questions here because it's not like you just, you know, Hey, I'm going to go climb Everest and, you know, hop on a plane. There's, yeah. how does, you know, without going into great details, but the financial commitment, the, the scheduling, yeah. uh, you know, are you a, it sounds like you're a full-time project manager. What do you, what do you do for your quote unquote day job? Yeah. I mean, I kind of changed <laughs> that. I, I used to be back in, I mean, I went to law school, dabbled in oh. politics for a while. Um, okay. Uh, and that's kind of what was previously married there, there there was like a lot of I, I basically checked a lot of boxes i thought that i was supposed to be doing and uh i was further from who i wanted to be and from the happiness that i was looking for um and okay. just things kind of all didn't work out in the best of ways um which okay. i had the most gratitude for and so i, I kind of just re realigned things in my life i was lucky to have just a few rental properties, just uh, like multifamily units. And I just figured out a way to maximize kind of as many passive streams of income when I was yeah. single. Um, so I could essentially afford, and I always put Everest and Antarctica on the back end because they were so expensive and what started going after the things I could afford um, within sure. my, my budget. And then uh, down the road, like was able to kind of mitigate some of the costs of those things by, having more different streams of got older, had more opportunities, had made better investments. Um, mm -hmm. But it definitely took, I mean, I, I didn't hop right into Everest as, as the initial out the gate goal, like Everest is always on the back end because of, because of really the cost um, and the time commitment of it. Um, but going forward now, it's um, like I'm launching a, a new like outdoor gear company that is a product of all my experience in the outdoors. Okay. And so, um, like working, I've been working with actually, uh, I started working with just friends who were local designers and engineers in outdoor companies here to help me create prototypes that I could use for my own personal use. Um, mm -hmm. and then I realized that people wanted what I was creating. And so now I'm working on kind of, there's just a few initial products and then we'll kind of grow up from there, but hoping to launch that. But that's again, a way for me to hopefully keep myself in the outdoors, but be a different mm -hmm. path. And um, the company hopefully will create also like an access fund that can then create scholarships or different funding for people that um, maybe wouldn't have uh, the same opportunities or that have socioeconomic barriers to getting in the outdoors. Because that's the thing that I want to be the next really big expedition in my life is to kind of pursue okay. that path and, and find ways to create um, a more diverse outdoors, um, which is something that I think will not just good in itself, but it's important for the stewardship of these places is to have many different best communities. And the more people that we can have connected with a real experience, the more they're going to care about preserving these places as well. So, Yeah. It's easier to care about something if you've been exposed to it versus exactly. just the, Oh, my, Everest is just a big rock, you know, type, yeah. you know, detachment. Yeah. What you the, the, gear line what 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 were you going to start with are you, you starting with you jokingly you said you, you, you puffy jackets but you know what's what's yeah the stuff coming out of the uh, gate will be um much more kind of directed initially at mountaineering glacial travel um kind of dealing with pain points in those areas uh okay kind of cold weather um expeditions um and then 
eventually we'll transition more into probably kind of hopefully doing collaborations and um, dealing with other kind of kit and gear as well. But the, the initial thing was like we're focusing on the things that were the most immediate issues that I was facing in the mountains, dealing with kind of small details that were that were kind of not being addressed. So, okay. um, but that the more I climbed, the more I saw those same issues being um, dealt with by every climber, whether they were multi ever summiters or kind of new into uh, mountaineering itself. So yeah, the company is called Dial Outdoors. So hopefully it'll launch. I don't know. It's uh, supply chains are very interesting right now when it comes to getting oh. everything I need. But the hope is that the, the first product will be out by maybe late February or so. Um, and then oh, that's exciting. like we have, uh, yeah, getting close. So, uh, hopefully uh, they're working with this great, um, group out of St. Louis local, like, uh, like made in the USA kind of local source kind mm -hmm. of guys. So that also helps with supply chain, not having to go international right now, but yeah. So it's, it's a new learning adventure in itself, but it's, it's fun to find ways to kind of remain in the kind of outdoor realm as well. Mm-hmm. No, that's, 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 that's great. If people want, well, and people shouldn't, if they want, people should want to find out more about you, where, yeah. where can we direct them? Where can we point them for you? I mean, I think the, 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 the easiest and where I'm most engaged is usually on Instagram. I use to kind of, um, to share a lot of imagery and also just do a lot of writing. And, and, um, that's my main source of kind of engagement right now. I'm going to try to expand and, and update my website more but um it's also usually the easiest for me to do while i'm traveling um kind of using sure. it as a, almost a journaling sharing um kind of forum uh so that's at andrew underscore i underscore hughes um which is uh the same for most of my other uh, handles as well but yeah and, and i and i have tons of people that hit me up there and then kind of ask questions about climbing how to get into it and i do my best to try to respond to everybody as quickly as possible but it's i think it's i i never really had mentors growing up in the outdoors or people that i mm -hmm. could ask questions of and so i think for anybody who has been given the the gift and the opportunity um the best gift is those that you get to give as well sometimes and, and give back and so hopefully uh i invite anybody who has questions about it um i definitely don't know everything but i'm i definitely want to help people try to find their own path um, to get out there. Well, you certainly, I mean, you've traveled the globe. It's not like you've just stayed in Washington. You've, you've traveled, the, you've traveled the globe. I, I, you know, I could go down, you know, I always love to hear the, uh, when I talk to business owners, I say, all right, so what's this great idea that you had that flopped, right? You know, not, yeah, not, yeah. not to like put them on the spot, but like, I think we learn from, oh, like, yeah. oh, you know, and so I'm sure you have, a story or two about an expedition like the yeah well we missed the connecting flight and we were stuck in some little town in you know wherever oh, yeah. i mean I, it, none of this goes I, I can't imagine any of this goes nothing goes with plans some, ever yeah, like all, yeah. all you're trying to do is mitigate the unknown knowing that there's yeah. going to be so many things um that are logistically when you're going to remote places in itself you just don't know i mean like it, that's that's sometimes like the hardest part of a trip isn't the climbing. It's just trying to get to the base of the mountain. So, um, <laughs> uh, well, let me add, all right, I'm going to ask this question. What, what I think, I think I know the answer. Well, I don't know. 
I think you might say this mountain in Indonesia, but what, what, what was the most difficult mountain to get to the base of for you in your experience? Um, uh, so, I mean, I think it's, it's a tie, um, between Antarctica, um, because it's just <laughs> logistically. So it's like the mountains we climb there are some of the most remote in the world. Um, so just to get there is itself one of the most challenging things and to get off. Like, I mean, Vincent Massif, like we were stuck on the mountain for weeks because the weather never, it's all line of sight for flights. And so you just get stuck there and we end up rationing food and like all kinds of things. Like you just, you get to a point where, I mean, you, you budget and create a buffer, but if the weather like bunk, like hunkers down on you and you can't like get out, then you're just kind of stuck. I mean, Denali is no different. Like it, you have line of sight to get on and off the glacier. So, um, I mean, you have a great community of people that share resources, but like those things happen. Um, the other of those is Papua New Guinea because the highest volcano in Oceania is in Papua New Guinea. And the only way that we couldn't find anybody who really guided there, but we found a single blog post from like 10 years ago from one person's one name and we sent the money and we were hoping that when we got off the the plane in, in Papua New Guinea that the person would be there to pick us up. Um, because it's Papua New Guinea is definitely a, a rough place to travel. Um, uh, especially if you don't know anyone. And I mean, there was just trying to get there. Like there was, we were leaving from Australia. And so there was a, someone on the terror, like a, a known terrorist was there and they basically shut down the airport and we missed our flight. Then we like got to Port Moresby and missed our connecting flights. So we had to have like an, an armed vehicle take us to this like armed hotel because there was like some kind of like threat issue in the city itself and then we got up there and like i mean we, we don't speak the i mean i don't speak the local language so you're relying purely upon people around you um and you're just like putting your trust really into people which is great actually this is part of the whole thing is you put your trust into people that you just met um and and then, then walking off into the jungle so and climbing up the mountains and hoping you met it all works out so um, uh, not knowing where you're going, just knowing like relying upon like local tribesmen to hopefully get you up there um, to show you where the path is and, and get you off the mountain. And, but it's such a, a rich, rich opportunity to just become vulnerable and trust in people and also just release that grasp that we all have on trying to control every detail of life. So, so I'm trying to control you right now because I'm freaking out just by you're telling me the story. I'm like, there's no way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, then you get to the top of like Mount Gilway and Papua New Guinea. It might be one of the most beautiful mountains. And it wasn't, wasn't like an incredibly hard climb, but it was one of the, probably the most remote places I've ever been. And I, I, a lot of people don't climb it because it's extremely challenging to get out there. Um, and so it's not on everyone's radar, but, like it, it felt like going back in time, like standing up on this like mountaintop, looking at all these like kind of like looking like prehistoric valleys that like had been untouched. It's just, it's just th those are the special things that mountains do. They become these vehicles that deliver you to unique experiences and unique relationships that forever become a part of who you are and your path. One last question. I promise yeah. this is the last, <laughs> no, the last no. question. Well, because you know. How many people are typically in your climbing party? You're not going it, by yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it varies. Um, 
I was really fortunate early on um, to like gain a wonderful climbing partner, um, uh, Roxy Vogel, who she lives in uh, California right now down in Mammoth. But like we met up on a cascade climbing course and like kind of both uh, wanted to climb more. And so we lived in different parts of the country, but we just held each other accountable and would train. And when we could, we would meet up. And so we both have done the seven summits now, like, um, we're both trying to do the seven volcanic summits as well. We're down to one each now. Um, so for, for us, like we ideally try to climb as many times as we can together, um, right. because we just trust each other and know each other on the mountain. But a lot of times too, you're, you're reaching out and trying to find people that logistically know the mountains and routes and stuff like that to help you kind of mitigate your own, um, kind of time investment to do that. And, um, and and so like when you show up, sometimes your expedition team will be generally there are lots of people you, you're just meeting for the first time. Um oh. and there can be a, a range. I mean, if it's glacier travel, it's about rope team dynamics. So how many people you should have say if on a rope, usually we'll have like maybe three to four people well on a rope. Um okay. but I mean like Antarctica or or the like South Pole expedition, there's like ten of us, eleven of us, um, because it's pretty safe. We just need to pull a sled. The Arctic coming up here, the North Pole. Uh, I think our team will be six. Um, okay. And I mean, that's why so people go. I mean, like there's two expeditions. Essentially, maybe it's thirty people, forty people kind of go up via the Polar Explorers this year. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it varies. Like I think sometimes it's nice to have a small group, but for Everest, it's actually really nice to have sometimes a larger family because you're with them for right. two months and everyone knows family in general. Sometimes you just need different members of your family to hang out with. So yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. So thank you so much for, for this. This is, yeah. I, I, I have the, the greatest gig in the world by getting to talk to people who get to and listen to their stories. Cause it, I'm never, it's, it's always fascinating to listen to what people I like. I'm never going to climb a mountain, but it's fascinating to hear okay. you describe your, your passion for this. It's, it's always great to listen to people when they're sharing uh, stuff that's important to them. And so thank you. You've been, you've been a great guest and I appreciate that. One, I, this is my get out of jail free question. Yeah, I ask yeah, at the yeah. end just to go, what, what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you, you know, let, that's where I kind of cover all my bases and yeah. throw it on the guest and say, Hey, what did I miss? I mean, I think we, we covered, covered a lot. Uh, I would just say that, I mean, I would ask people to, to try to find as many ways to get out there as much as possible um, and, and help others do the same uh, to enjoy kind of our natural world and to, to do what they can to try to protect these spaces and understand them and understand their history as well. Um, Cause they're often linked to histories that preceded our understanding of them with indigenous people that kind of have been a part of those lands and, um, and to kind of have empathy and a uh, secret understanding of how we can keep these places for the few generations as well. So my kids can be out there and my grandkids one day. Wonderfully stated. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. Thank you. And yeah. I look forward to keep tracking, you know, tagging along on Instagram. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Scott. And uh, anytime you want to meet up for coffee, you know, you know where to find me. Well, so, now, yeah. you, now you're talking my language too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah.
Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.